Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning, in chapter 10. If you would turn to me, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. Give you a moment to find that. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. I invite you to follow along with other version that you have in front of you. God's Word is good. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear my Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ, in our hearts. We pray that you allow these things to be written in our minds and in our hearts in a way, Lord, that not only speak to us, but become a part of us. Let us take your word seriously. Let, it, let us put it into practice in our lives. Let this book not be something that we put on the shelf, that we revere, but let it be life-changing and transformational to us as Christians, as followers, of the living God, Jesus Christ. We give you these things to you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start with a note of encouragement this morning. And if you know me or listen to me very long, you know there might be sarcasm in that. Um, who has a 401k or other retirement plan? Like I said, we're starting in an encouraging place today, right? Okay, so uh, hopefully you have not looked at this uh, really this past six months or year. It's probably not going to be wonderful news, right? You got to get an amen on that. Yeah. Okay. Now, it will come back. It will be okay. The sky is not going to fall. Uh, it, it will be okay. Our hope is not in our 401k. Amen? Okay. Our hope is not in that. Now, that is bad enough that, that our future... Uh, reliance upon that our future uh, retirement has been lost a little bit but how much worse would it be if there were a person to blame how much worse would it be if that would be stolen not just lost in that way because i don't know if you've ever heard of a man uh 1920s a man by the name of charles ponzi who's ever heard of a man by the name of charles ponzi Okay, you may not have heard of him, but you have heard of what his namesake has become in the, the thought of a Ponzi scheme, right? So there are people in this world, imagine that, that uh, prey on those that are, in all honesty, greedy. That their greed feeds on others. They see, if I am greedy, then guess what? There's probably other people out there that are greedy too. Now, we know they have not just preyed on people that are greedy. We do understand that. But there is a desire to have more. That what I've given, I want more. I want more. I want more. And the, the people may not always do their homework. And, and people that are greedy will do many things, sometimes out of the ethical bounds, to get more. And Charles Ponzi, and throughout time, and most recently there's a gentleman uh, passed away in jail recently, 
uh, by the name of Bertie Madoff. I think we probably, most of us, remember the stories and the trials and the sexual, that, that took on for himself a scheme to take money from many people, many that we have heard and had lots of money, to the term, I think he ended up with over $20 billion that he had gained from others. He would say, give me money, and guess what? In just a short time, I will turn that 50-fold, 100-fold, I will turn that back to you. And so he does, and they give him this money, and then he goes over here and he tells others, guess what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest for you, I'm going to do all these things. And how does he get them to do this? Because he has a lifestyle that looks like he knows what he's talking about. He has a lifestyle that shows that he is rich. I must be successful. I live in a big house. I have many houses. I have many boats. I have many yachts. I've got all these things, so I must know what I'm talking about. But really, he's just showing this off so that you will give me money so now I can come, and guess what? I can go over here, and I can give them that return on investment they thought. I've just really one time got to come over here, and they gave me money, and I gave them more than they gave me. And now I've got the whole sales pitch, dead packaged. Now I can go and show people. They're going to go and tell their friends. Guess what? Their friends are pretty rich and influential, right? So when it's happened that once, I'm able to build upon that. And that greed brings about destruction. It brings about tragedy. And it brings about a loss of what they would consider wealth. And that brings us a little bit to the passage that we have today. And hopefully and probably for many, this will be a familiar passage. If not, I invite you to listen closely. And if it is a familiar passage, I invite you to listen closely. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So I want us to look at this and try to get an understanding and a feeling for this man that comes in. First of all, he understands and recognizes who Jesus is. This guy gets a really bad rap. But in essence, he's really a pretty good guy. He's a guy on the outside that if you looked at him, guess what? His life, he follows God. He follows his commands, as we'll see in a little bit. He is running towards Jesus. That's a good thing. He is running towards Jesus. He falls on his knees before him. He recognizes who he is. He's worshiping. He wants what this man has for him. He recognizes that he is teacher. He recognizes even more that he is good teacher. And he asks him, a question that I hope we all ask ourselves, not just once, but many times. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus, almost ignoring the direct question, says, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. And he says, you know the commandments. And he starts to give a couple of these. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony you shall not defraud honor your father and mother he even skips early there i'm sure he is saying all of these commandments you know and of course the first commandment is to know your god to know that he is to recognize who he is in your life the man responds teacher 
all these things I have kept since my youth. And Mark says this just a little bit differently. In this next line, I think there's so much here. He says, Jesus looked at him and, what does it say? Loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Before he follows or not follows, he loved him. He knew that he had a heart that had tried. But Jesus, because he loved him, was honest with him. Because he could see into his heart, he was honest with him. You see, many times we see this next scripture that is very difficult for some. One thing you lack, he says, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, I've heard this passage, read this passage, studied this passage many times. And at different times, I get different things, and sometimes I think I'm supposed to just see different pieces, and I hope that you've wrestled with this scripture, because it is hard. Go and sell everything, not most things, not some, everything. Now, how many times do you see throughout scripture him telling other people to do this? It's actually not something that he tells a lot of people. He is telling him because he knows his heart and he loves him. He knows that God is huge in his life, but God is not first. And he wants him to understand that. He knows that he has to deal with that little seed, that little nugget that is not of God, that is tainting the rest. He's got that little bit of yeast that is not what it needs to be. He is not what, where he needs to be. But Jesus loved him. At that, this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said again, Children, that goes along with some of the surrounding scriptures, How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now this is a passage, who read that the first time and just, just knew exactly, exactly, exactly what this meant? This is a, it's an interesting thing, and people have studied it, they have, they have preached about it, they've written about it, and, and they've, they try to help understand what that means. And, and you've probably heard before, and I've heard many times, and I've, I've really believed before, that, that this is really just a, a metaphorical thing that, that Jesus is talking here, that some even say there was probably a gate in Jerusalem where, you know what, there's this camel that the, the wealthy people would put all of their stuff on, that they would have this door, they would have this gate that, that, that they made really, really small, so that the camel, for a camel to go through this, which they said this gate was called the eye of the needle, that they would have to unpack and take off all this wealth, you have the camel get on its knee, come through that passage, that they make enter in. That sounds good. That makes me feel better. It's not that I can't have wealth and get in, because really that's what we're trying to figure out, right? That's what we're trying to rationalize, is that we can have this wealth and still get in. That we can have all these things, that we can put a priority on these things and still get in, right? That's what we all want is just to get in, right? Now, the, the thing about that is, is I believe that for a long time, and I'm not saying that that's, that couldn't be true, 
But there's absolutely no evidence that that gate, anything like that ever existed in Jerusalem. Now, there are times, other gates that they, they made small. We saw one that, that they made small. It used to be that the horses would ride in, and, and they were huge, and they wanted them to not be able to attack, and they wanted them to, to actually have to bow down to get in, to show reverence for the churches that they were in place. And much of those things came later. Now, if you're going, if they were going into Jerusalem with this eye of the needle, and, and it's not in a lot of early scholarship, you come to one gate, I've got all these camels with all this stuff, that if I could just, you know, all I do, if I want to take all my stuff in there, all I got to do is unpack it, get down, go in, and then drag all my stuff in. Now, now how many would you do that if you could just go around to the other side and go in a different gate that's bigger? Right? That really doesn't make that much sense. I think, I think we're trying to get Scripture to, to, to tell us what we want in our hearts, that it's okay to have all this stuff and still get in. Now, because Jesus doesn't tell everybody to go and sell everything all the time, if that was what Jesus was saying, I think he would make that clear in many places. He does that. But he knew with this man, he was a good man from the outside, that his heart still was not aligned fully with God, that he was not willing that it was still master to him. And he said, for you, your heart to be made right, you must go and sell everything. If you, because I know that it's not where it's supposed to be, and I love you so much that I'm going to tell you that, that I'm not going to just make it easy to get in. I'm going to make you understand that either God is Lord in your life or he's not. See, he was a humble man. My heart goes out for this guy. See, they, they understood that he was probably thought he was a very blessed man. Everybody else probably thought he was a blessed man at that time. He thought if, if God blesses those he loves and he gives them stuff. And that's what they believed. Now, we don't understand that the same way now. Thank God that he blesses us, blesses us in different ways. But they did understand that, so he thought he was blessed. So this guy came, and he was humble what must i do i know that's what we get from him he knew there was something missing in his life he had all the stuff and he came to this teacher that had been doing all these wonderful things healing these people and he came to him what must i do to inherit eternal life he knew there was something missing when there's something in our life that's not right, we know that there's something missing. And I pray that we do the same thing that this man does and come to God, but we must come with a heart and a mind that if he tells us there's something to change, that there's something to change. Where do we lack? What do we lack? The gospel demands much, but it offers more. It demands much, but it offers more. We'll get to that in just a second. See, we know that this cursing and blessing thing isn't completely true anymore. If there's anything good that's come from some of our social media, we know that there are rich, wealthy, powerful, influential people that have absolutely nothing to do with ethics. That we know that absolutely nothing to do with being pleasing to God that they go and how they make that even on social media is terrible. 
that what they say in their speech has no fruit of the Spirit of God in it. So we know that it can't be like that. We know that that is not the symbol of blessing anymore. Now we know that God has blessed us in that way that we may have provision. God is a God of provision. You will not lack with him. He will provide. So we know that, that we don't see this blessing in the same way they did from, from reading Deuteronomy and some of the other passages. That they had this understanding that, that God blesses many. But he was talking in those passages in Deuteronomy and others much more that he wanted to bless, not these individuals, he wanted to bless his people with a new land. He wanted to bless his people. But every time that he says that, I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you, he says something else. If you follow my command, if you remain faithful, the blessing for my people will remain. And his people oftentimes didn't do very well at that. But he still forgave them. He still brought them back. He still made a way. And he is still making that same way. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, I think, and I could be wrong, I think there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of metaphor, a lot of, a lot of figures of speech that we get wrong because we don't fully understand. But I really think that God in this passage is saying, this is something that's not possible. Not in how you see it. It's not that a, a rich man can't get into the kingdom of God. It's that, guess what, he cannot do it on his own. We go back to that beginning passage. Good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, in this moment, understood and was trying to teach and trying to let those around him, his disciples, understand that there was nothing that they could ever do to inherit the kingdom of God. It is only by the grace of God, it is only by the blood that Jesus would shed in the future that they would have the opportunity, the possibility to enter into the kingdom of God. That it is through the power of the Spirit, the sacrifice that Jesus himself would make that makes it possible that whenever we are looking to what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God, that we've missed the absolute essential, central piece of the question. That there is nothing. It is impossible. Not just for any rich man, but any poor man, any rich woman, any poor woman, any rich child. Any, that this is not who we are supposed to be looking at. There is nothing we can do. But until you understand that it is God and God's grace, and because this is the key, that when you understand that it's not what you've done, but what, it's, what he has done, then guess what? All that we have, we understand that it's not all. We understand that it truly, we give over to him because of what he has given to us, that our whole mentality changes. Everything changes in us, that we are no longer the same person, we are no longer the same thoughts, we have not the same greed within us that we once did. He doesn't ask us to give everything, because I hope he knows we would do it. I'm going to say that again, okay? I think the reason, this is an I think, okay? 
I try to make those distinctions. This is how I'm reading this, but I tell, this, is, this is how he's spoken to me here. I think he still allows us what I consider to be great wealth. Most of us in this room have great wealth when we think of this word. And I hope that he allows us to keep that at times because we are hospitable, because we are gracious, because we are generous. I think he calls us to be more generous than we even are. That he knows that we have others out there with needs that we can't even begin to understand, but we have the means to help them. I think that, and hope, and and I pray that if God would come to one of us that is a follower of Christ, to say, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I pray that my heart and my mind are so aligned and so in tune with the Spirit of God that I would trust Him in that moment. And I would say, sign me up. Here it is, it's yours. You've called me. You will provide. I don't need to worry about anything else except what my God tells me to do. And I think he asked this because he knew that their answer would be not right. And I think because he loves him, he was honest with him. And because he loves him, I don't think he's given up on this rich young ruler. I think that he hopes that maybe through this message and through this lesson, that maybe one of those disciples that is listening and hearing and will go to even many to their own death because of that gospel that Jesus is preaching to them, will later on go and find and seek and speak to this rich young ruler that he would come to a place where he would answer differently. What do you lack in your life? What is it that you would answer incorrectly? God asks us those things. What do you need to turn over to me? See, this part of this that ends is so important. He says, then, after you have that right heart, follow me. He was speaking with these disciples, understanding, listening, and being moved by him. Verse 26 says, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved, right? This is an impossibility because they had not seen what Jesus was getting ready to go and do. They didn't understand that, guess what? That one that has power over even death will be enough. That it is in that power that I am saved, not by my actions. Jesus looked at them and he said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now in that context, I think we understand what that passage means a little bit more than how it's misused a lot of times. Then Peter spoke up. Peter gets a lot of things wrong, right? Peter's impetuous. We know that he does that. But man, Peter's bold. Peter recognizes who the Messiah is. Peter here says something that is very true. He had told the rich young ruler, guess what? Sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and follow me. And Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What the world says is impossible, with Jesus is possible. They did. They gave up. They 
followed him, even when they didn't understand, even when they didn't really know what that would cost or what that meant, they followed him. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. We have people that I still believe preach a false gospel. I think we have a Ponzi scheme within the church. I think we have people that would misuse and misread this scripture. They would say, you see, if you just give to the church, if you just give to me, I'm rich, I'm, I'm blessed, God's blessed me, I must know what God really wants. If you just give to me, man, God is going to bless you in the same way. He's going to give you ten, he's going to give you a hundredfold. So come, pour your riches on me and I will make you richer. That greed is still within us. That greed is still within the world. And it breaks my heart that there are many pastors, there are many churches that would use this as a false gospel to bring people in because it doesn't, it's not about Jesus Christ, it's about them. And in our hearts, we do sometimes, we want what is good. We have lives that, that on the outside, I have kept the commandments. I am filling, I'm fulfilling these things. I'm doing all these things. But guess what? Are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you doing it so that you can get back? Are you doing what it gives you? And God knows the heart of all of those. You see, you look back in the history of Bernie Madoff, of uh, Charles Ponzi, of all those in between and before, really. He wasn't the first. The vast majority of those, where have they ended up? I saw some people mouthing, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna, it's not a rhetorical question today. Where did they all end up? They ended up in jail. It doesn't usually end well. Well, the same positive scheme in the church is not going to end well. There will be judgment. God will judge fairly. I don't have to. He is going to hold accountable those that need to held accountable. So I do not need to. But do not get caught up. Because guess what? Not only are those that are responsible to be held accountable, there are many other people that are hurt, that will lose everything in this earthly way. But if your heart is not right, you have already lost. What is it that we lack? What is it that he is calling us into? Are we willing? Again, I'm going to say, the gospel demands a lot. But I tell you, I, there is promise in the word of God that it offers more. You see, this says, this does say, that we'll receive a hundred times as much in this present age, right? And it has homes in there. It has fields in there has persecutions in there. They don't like to tell you that part. But one of the things that we see in here that will return is not money. 
when we follow the gospel, when our hearts have been made right, when our minds have been changed into a Christ-likeness, and we have left brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers, when we have left all saying that I put God above those. He still says, honor thy mother and father. It's not that we have created something in a separation with them that we don't love them, but you know what? I am going to put him first even over my family. He is number one in my life. And guess what? He doesn't say, I'm going to take those from you when you leave those, when you sacrifice, when you give those up, when you have an investment within those and in God and what he can do. He says, I will return it ten and a hundred times. You will gain more brothers you will gain more sisters, you will gain more fathers, you will gain more sons and daughters. This is the church. Who is not being a part even of this one tiny little church in Cory, Indiana has not gained tenfold of brothers and sisters filled with the love of Christ in our lives that have strengthened us, prayed for us, supported us. Don't let someone tell you that this is a get-rich passage. That has nothing to do with God, and it's not what Jesus is intending. You will have persecution, but it says, and in the age to come, you will have eternal life. That is true prosperity. That is true provision. That is a life that he has given us. We're taking communion today as we do often. We have a carpenter that has built a beautiful table for us. Amen? We have a carpenter that builds a table big enough for the great family that he has given us who are reminded that we're a part of something much greater than even this little church in Cory, Indiana that we have people out there that are faithful, that we are not in this alone, that he has put us together and he gives us strength and the power in the spirit of God that we come together and that we are reminded of what he has done. I'm going to invite those that are helping serve this morning to come forward at this time. We'll pray a moment to close our message and to open ourselves communion I'm going to invite Austin if you would come up and you would play in a moment when we're, when we're receiving I like to remind people we have an open table that this is a reminder that we're part of the bigger church not something separate you do not have to be a member of this church the only thing you need to participate in this wonderful meal is to accept that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior that you have accepted and understand who we were before God. That we have an absolute need for His blood. That there is nothing, there is nothing that I can do to inherit eternal life. That it is through His blood and His sacrifice and His forgiveness that He offers freely to us, but it cost Him much. That if you've asked and accepted, repented, and turned towards Him, come. And receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We also have an invitation when we take communion as well. That if maybe you've never taken before. If you've never accepted 
really, there's no better time than now. There's no better time to accept him, to say in your heart, in your mind right now, that God, I love you because you have first loved me. God, I understand that when you went to the cross, that when you went to the grave, that you overcome these things. You did it so that I may have life everlasting, that I may have forgiveness, that your sins have been taken upon Christ. If you know these things are true, that God lived, was truly a man, truly God, died, rose again for your forgiveness. And you say, God, I was a sinner, but I repent. And I believe in who you are, what you've done, and what you will do. Then come and take for the first time or the thousandth time. Come and receive his body. So on the same night that he was betrayed, Jesus, after giving thanks, takes the bread that was on the table, surrounded by those that he loved, his disciples, those that had made the choice to follow him. He broke that bread and said, this is my body broken for you. When you come and eat, do it in remembrance of me. This is before he had even done it. He had set up for this day, this church, this time, he had set that up. For us to come and to know him better, to love him more, to be more connected, not just to him, but with one another. And as he took the cup, he said, this is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my blood. Broken for you. Shed for you. Every time we come, we can't take it too much. It doesn't get old. Our heart is not right if it is not old. We can't pray too much. We can't come to the table too much. Because of what it reminds us of, that it strengthens our faith. That it brings us closer to Him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this word that you give us. These scriptures, Lord, we pray that we do write them in our minds and our hearts. We pray that we do take them seriously and allow for us to be open to your correction. Let us not come and ask the question, what must I do, God, if we are not ready to respond in a positive way? So, God, we pray that we come to the table, Lord, with right minds and right hearts. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness of all of our sin, known and unknown, that we come to you, Lord, with an openness to who you are in our lives. And that is our Lord. Let us take, but let us take with great joy of what it represents, that in your body broken and in your blood shed, we have freedom and we have life everlasting. That the question that we have here has been answered not because of what I do, what I can do, but because of what you have done. So let us take it joy and we give thanks to you our wonderful Lord and Savior we give these things to you in your name Amen Amen We're so happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice We at Corey Community Church the Nazarene continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people 
We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.